Good morning, everybody. It's so nice to be here with you, with our Every Nation family. Um, it is so fun to have, sorry, I'm going to put my stuff down. I can do this. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, as he said, family in Nevada, because where we came from in California, there's city after city after city um, all throughout, from the bottom of California to the top. And then when you come to Nevada, there's a lot of land in between <laughs> cities. <laughs> And so it is really such a blessing and honestly a privilege to be here with you all this morning to get to share the word of God. And it was such a great afternoon yesterday with all the women. You have such a beautiful church. I mean, the people in your church are so full of the spirit of the Lord, so full of Jesus. And it was just such a great time of fellowship and beautiful food and um, flowers and but the sweetest thing of all was just the fellowship and the relationship between all of the the ladies there and I know that you men have it as well you don't have a tea with flowers and butterflies everywhere and little tear dessert things you have man food we had an event recently where Brett and I did an event on the same day he had a men's breakfast and I had a women's tea and the men's breakfast had like sausage and bacon and like they all just were like sweats and whatever and then we had our tea and it was all little settings and the whole kind of thing so we do our thing our own way but it, it the presence of God is so rich here I've just felt so uh, refreshed in my spirit being here with you all this weekend so far. So I have a message that um, God put on my heart, and I'm really excited because as I was talking to Pastor Roland and Vilma recently, and they said you'd been doing this series on baggage, and I was like, wow, that's exactly what God had been putting on my heart. And what I want to share with you this morning, the title of the message is called Freedom in Christ, the Iceberg Principle. So when we come to Christ, we understandably want help. We want answers. I mean, none of us, if we're really honest, say, I came to Jesus because I was so in love with him and I wanted to serve him. We came to Jesus because we came to the end of ourself. We're like, I can't do this. I can't fix my problems. I can't stop sinning. I can't get things that are wrong in my life better. Self-help and positive thinking and willpower can only get me so far. But I still have the same <laughs> terrible ugly, horrible feeling inside. I feel empty. I feel alone. I feel powerless. I feel helpless to really change. And we're finally like, you know what, Jesus? I think you're it. I think you're the one. I know you're the one. So we come to him because we want, we want help and we want answers. And the good news is he's totally okay with that. That does not bother him. He's not put off by that at all. He's like, I know that. I've been waiting for you to come to me. It says that Jesus knocks at the door of our heart, wanting to welcome us in. And so it's okay. We're born with a sin nature. We learned that back in Genesis. Adam and Eve are given the option to obey or disobey. And once they disobeyed, the bad news is for the rest of us, we were stuck with a sin nature. But the good news is Jesus. Amen? So the second thing I want to share is that we want a quick fix to take our problems and our pain and our suffering away. We're like, okay, so you're my savior right now. I know that no matter what happens, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And so sometimes we're fed this very uh, short-sighted half gospel, a half truth, pretty much a lie. Like, if you serve Jesus, all of your problems will go away. That's not the gospel. <laughs> Jesus will magically fix 
Whatever is wrong in you, he'll heal you. He'll provide the money for you. All of your broken relationships will be healed like that. That's not the way it is. Jesus himself, if we look through the Gospels and we read the Gospels and how he lived his life, he didn't get to avoid any of that himself. And it says that he knows every terrible thing we're tempted with, all the pain, all the suffering. He went through it as a man, as a human being. And it says that he was tempted yet without sin. So we know that we have a Savior that gets us, that knows what we're going through, that he's not surprised by any of the deepest, darkest stuff that goes on in this terrible, broken world. So we want this quick fix. Like, we want a little Band-Aid. You know, when your your little ones, they come to you. We have four children. They're all grown now. And um, I just got the privilege of holding being in George's little girl. Oh, my gosh, she's the cutest. She kept saying amen and lifting her hands. And, and she kept hugging me. I'm like, do you want to go back to your mom? She's like, no. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so sweet. But say, you know, she hurt herself. She runs to her mama, and she's got a little cut, and her mama you know, presses it, makes sure it stops bleeding, and she puts a Band-Aid on it, and then she kisses her, she prays for her, and, and off she runs, and, and that's fine. But that's kind of what we want as adults. <laughs> that's what we want as, you know, people past the age of 10. Like, can you just put a Band-Aid on my boo-boo, God, and, and fix it and pray for me, and everything's going to be better? But sometimes that cut is really deep. Sometimes that cut goes down into the bone. Sometimes that cut actually can cause disease deep down, in your muscle tissue or in your your bone marrow or it's a cancer or something like that. A real one or an emotional one that's just, can be just as troubling and just as terrible. Trust me, I know. (laughs) I've lived through them, many of them. Um, And so I learned early on in my Christian walk that as much as Jesus loves me, he doesn't allow my pain and my suffering to go away. So I I've learned that I have to press into that, like Paul says, to have joy in all of our circumstances. Not joy because one of our daughters had cancer, or joy because my parents, through an awful situation where my brother got divorced, basically split the family and stopped talking to my sisters, myself, our husbands, and our kids. That's that's not fun. He was with me in that pain. He was with me in my sorrow. He was with me in my, my tears and my depression and my anxiety. I'll be honest. I've been depressed. I've been anxious. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. Maybe I'm the only one. But if you read about many of the people in the Bible, they were anxious, depressed, discouraged, totally frustrated, disillusioned even. Has anyone here ever felt disillusioned even though they're a follower of Jesus? Okay, just a few of you. Well, the rest of you can pray for us. We appreciate that. We need it. But Jesus, man, he could have been the most disillusioned of all, right? He's at the cross. And he says, you know, before the cross, I'm sorry, he's praying the night before, and he's like, Lord, you know, if there's any other way, please, please take this way. Make it different. Take this cup. Give me a different way. And he knows the Father tells him no. And he's like, all right. He's literally sweating blood because he's in so much distress. He's in so much sorrow. He's been betrayed by literally everyone. But unlike us, he doesn't have a sin nature. So there's no reason other than he's going to be our Savior at the cross. So we have to be able to trust God and not just put a Band-Aid on our little boo-boo. 
But if he says, it's not a boo-boo, it's a big, deep cut, and I want to fix it. Are you willing to go with me there? So as we do that, I want to share with you what I, I call the iceberg principle, and I actually, it's not my term. I read it in a book. It's a really good book. And I think some of you all are familiar with um, Pete Scazzaro and his wife and some of the great Christian um, teaching they have on emotionally uh, spiritual um, health. And I uh, love this principle, and it's actually so true. It's what God made me do through my suffering. It's what God will do with all of us if we allow him to work in our suffering to bring us to a place of healing. Amen? So if you look at this picture, you'll see this iceberg. Can we go back to that? Are we there? Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong prompter. So you see the top of the iceberg. So the whole idea, you've heard that term, the phrase, the tip of the iceberg. Okay, so that's, that's the idea. So the tip of the iceberg is actually 20% of the iceberg. The bottom is 80%. So the problem is, like if you watch the Titanic, which is actually a true story, they were going towards this iceberg but couldn't see. They were going too fast. It was too dark. And they hit the tip of the iceberg. So what they knew, all these... Um, professional uh, sailors and, and all the people that were on board of the ship, they knew that this was going to be a massive problem because they knew there was 80% below the surface. And they know they were going too fast, too strong, and there was no way to turn this ship in time. They knew they were going to crash into it, and they knew basically that they were going to die or the majority of the people were going to die, which is exactly what happened. So what happens is we hit a tip of an iceberg, and we want to be kind of fixed on top. But then the bottom of the iceberg, that 80% is waiting below the surface. And we just are kind of like, can't we just, can we just kind of get rid of the top and like, maybe we could send like a Zamboni. I'm a, I'm a figure skater. If you don't know what a Zamboni is, it's the, th the machine that cuts the ice, it cleans the ice. Can we just get a Zamboni to kind of like clear off that 80% and we can just sail right over the top of the iceberg. We can skate across. It, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that at all. And so... Uh, this iceberg principle is basically allowing God to go deep beneath the surface of our lives, of our hearts, of our issues, of whatever's going on, to obliterate that 80% and actually the whole top, which means 100%, so that we can get, get through it. Not just get through it, but know him deeply, know him better, know him more, experience him in such a great way that we are forever changed. So I'm going to read to you this story, uh, probably a story that many of you are familiar with. It's uh, the woman at the well, and she is a Samaritan. And if we know anything about Samaria, which you may or may not, Samaria was an area where um, the people that lived there were half Jewish and half something else, whether it was a Syrian or another type of ethnicity. So the problem with um, the Samarians was that they were hated by everybody because they were half. They were half of something. And so if we think that racism and prejudiceism hasn't gone on forever, well, it has. So they were so hated and so despised by everyone, they had to live in their own area, and it was called Samaria. So they lived, they married, they worked, they dwelt among their own people because they couldn't go to the Jews and they couldn't go to whatever the other half of them was. So they, they accept this. So they're outcasts. So they don't actually live regionally, geographically that far from these other areas, but it's, it's almost like it doesn't matter because they live in their own area. They keep to themselves. So there's this lady, and um, this is out of John chapter 4. We're going to read through it. And it says, um, a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, 
Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, says, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. And so she's kind of shocked because she can tell Jesus is Jewish by what he's wearing, by his, his beard, the way he carries himself. And so she's just like, I can't believe this, this person is talking to me, let alone a man, because it's, it's totally inappropriate in that day, that culture, and that time to, to be able to, do, to talk to someone, not only of that's a, a Jew and a Samaritan, but a woman and a man. And so Jesus, being the way Jesus is, he just like launches right in. He doesn't care what the cultural norms are. He doesn't care what's acceptable. He's just like, I'm here to talk to this woman, and I'm here to minister to her. I'm here to, to love on her. I'm here to show her the very presence of who I am. So Jesus answers, and he says, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman says, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us? So she's only seeing like the practical. She's seeing, I need water. Um, he's asking me for water. He's, he's so ridiculous. He doesn't even have a bucket to give me to get him water from. What am I supposed to do about this? And Jesus is talking to her about this living water, and she's kind of like, what is he saying? And so she's looking at the 20%. She's thirsty. And then we're going to go into a little while, while later why she's out there by herself in the middle of the day. She's thirsty. She needs water. And now he's asking her for water, and she's not understanding anything he's saying, which is what Jesus did a lot. <laughs> he would talk to people in these parables and then in seemingly riddles because he was getting to the heart of the matter. He was going down to their 80%, and they're like, hey, my son needs healing. Hey, my daughter needs to be uh, healed. She, she died, and, he, they're just gonna, and then he's like, no, 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 no. I want to heal your heart. I want to free you from your sin. I want to free you from your past. And, and we just look so often at what's right in front of us, the circumstance that's right in front of us. So we're like, fix this, God. Fix that. Help me here. Get better job, better relationship. Fix my husband. Fix my boss. Fix my kids. And he's like, no, no, no. Let's fix you. Let's work on your heart. How did this situation get here? I want to heal you. And so he's, he's talking to this woman at this level, and she's just kind of like, I got to get here, I got to get my water, and now I'm going to leave, and you're, you're trying to get me to get you water. Okay, give me a bucket, do something. And then Jesus comes back at her with this. He doesn't answer her question. He just says, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artisan spring within gushing fountains of endless life. And the woman says, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty. I won't ever have to come back to this well again. She literally thinks it's like this magical water that if you drink it, you'll never literally be thirsty again. Like you never have to drink water again. And so we'll see her problem. This is her problem. And we're going to go right back. So he, he says to her, go call your husband and then come back. And she says, I have no husband. That's nicely put. This is Jesus talking. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and you're living, the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. So it sounds like, wow, that was kind of rude. 
Jesus is like, wow, you kind of have man issues, kind of get around girl here. And he's not being mean. What he's saying to her is, you want me to do something for you because you don't want to come out here anymore and deal with all the stuff you got to deal with. Why she was out there in the middle of the day, and we know she was out there in the middle of the day, because at the beginning of the passage, it says Jesus was sitting there while his disciples went into town to get lunch. So this woman came in the very middle of the day because no one else came to get water in the middle of the day. She wanted to avoid everyone. Everyone else in Samaria came in the early morning when it was cool, or they came in the evening when it was cool. She had to come in the middle of the day because she was actually an outcast among the outcasts. She couldn't even interact with the Sumerians who already were outcasts. She was ashamed. She was shamed by them because she had such a a notorious past and present in her life. No one wanted to be around her. No one wanted to be near her. She was like a leper in her own place. So she went in the middle of the day to avoid contact and interaction with even the other Sumerians. She literally lived by herself with this man who didn't marry her, and she didn't marry. At this point, let's be honest, she's thinking, why get married? Five times? Why try a six? What's the point? She was so damaged and so hurt, and we don't know anything about her other than these facts that are given to us in this passage, but we know that someone who's been through that doesn't think very highly of themselves. Someone who's in that place doesn't think very highly of other people. She doesn't trust the people around her. She probably doesn't even trust the man that she's with. Her goal is to get out there, get her water in the middle of the day, run back to her place, and and stay home till the next day when she's forced to go out again. And Jesus is like, that's not what this is about. This fresh living water that I have for you is to change you, is to heal you, is to deliver you, is to set you free. So what's so great about this is we go on in verse 27. It says, just then the disciples came back, and they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking to that kind of a woman. Because you could tell by the way she dressed, the way she carried herself. No one said what they were thinking, but their faces showed it. So they were looking at her like, what? And they're looking at Jesus like, Jesus, dude, you don't talk to that kind of, mm-mm. That's not good. First of all, she's a Marian. Second of all, we know what kind of woman she is. You don't associate. But they were always telling Jesus what to do. <laughs> they were always like, Jesus, we should go here. Jesus, you should do that. And, you know, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I got it covered. I know what kind of woman she is, and I'm here to minister to her. That's why I sent you all to get lunch. So you wouldn't be here, and you wouldn't distract and disturb what was going on. But this is the most powerful part. The woman, it says, the woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come and see a man who knew all about the things that I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. She's so changed. She's so set free by this brief interaction that she has with Jesus that she doesn't care that these 12 men are looking at her in disgust and disdain. She's so forever different. She runs back to the very people that she normally can't talk to, see, interact with, do life with, do business with. She doesn't care what they've been saying about her. She normally, they, at times, they, they're like, oh, my gosh, do you see who's walking around? You know, oh, my gosh. Like, she, she doesn't care. She's not even, she's so changed by the power of God. She's she, like, hey, 
I want you to come experience what I've experienced. There's no bitterness in her. There's no anger. There's no, well, you don't deserve to have this because you've been so mean to me. She's like, hey, if he can set me free, think what he can do for you. Not only have you done all the things that you've done and ignored me, I don't care, but he can change your life too. He can heal you. He can not only deal with your 20%, but he can dig down deep and tell you the stuff that's in your soul that you've been carrying around. The pain that you have not been able to unburden. The hurt, the betrayal, even physical healing, disease, mental illness, generational curses of addiction, of adultery, of you name it. He set this woman free like that. And she went back and she told her whole village. And her whole village came out to see. Amen? So are we willing to allow God to not just put a Band-Aid on our little, what we think is a cut, but to dig down deep and to blow up our entire iceberg so that we can deal with the issues in our life? Maybe you're not like this woman. Maybe you haven't had five husbands and you're on your sixth guy or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. You still have a sin nature. You still have sin. You've still been hurt. You've still been treated horribly by people. You've still been uh, turned away. You've still been treated in a way that's been so painful and so awful that you've like, God, I don't even know what to do with this, how to handle this. Or maybe you're in the midst of something like that right now and you're like, my iceberg is so big, Jory. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know. I've been waiting 10, 20, 30 years to be set free. And you're right. I, I don't know what it is. But I do know God. I do know Jesus. I do know that he can and will set you free. I do know that if you press into him, you do the things you know to do. You spend time with him. You read the word. You confess the word. You trust in the word. You pray you go to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You continue in fellowship with others. You will have what you need until that breakthrough comes. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's somewhere in between. It's just a slow, gradual process. But I'd love to share you more of our, Brett and my story. Um, there's a lot. We've had a lot of icebergs, and God has brought us through. I'm sure there'll be more. It's not the end, but I do know that Jesus is who he says he is. And he will be that same God for you. Amen.